Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are happy to be here. We're happy to be in church on the last Sunday of 2014. And Father, there's a lot for us to process, a lot for us to be thinking through and looking back on. And in many ways, God, we're thankful for another year, and yet we're hopeful that 2015 would be would be better, that we would be sharper people, more disciplined, more humble, more appreciative, that we would have a better grasp of of what we're here for in our own personal lives, better husbands and wives, better moms and dads. And yet, Father, the same applies for us as a whole, as a church. God, we don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to waste a second, a minute, a day. We don't, want, we don't want to waste a single relationship, not a soul. And so, Father, we ask today you would work in our hearts and that the preaching of the Word through the Holy Spirit would change our lives. Father, we've heard voice this morning several times how 2014 was such a great and blessed year from you for us and That is absolutely the case. We are undeserving. We don't take it for granted. We are humbled. Yet, Father, we we long for more of You. We long for more of You, God, and we long for more people to long for more of You. And so, Father, we ask that You would continue to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And do it through Your Word. And do it not to us, but to you, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. If you didn't bring a Bible today, that's okay. We ask you to use the pew Bible there in front of you. That's the black Bible. And it'll be on page 1021, page 1021, Acts chapter 17. Um, As we have been since about Thanksgiving, we are in between sermon series of me preaching through a book. We plan to start one here really soon, maybe even next Sunday, as I'll just get back to preaching through a book of the Bible. But until then, I'm just preaching on some things that I wanted to. And, And this Sunday morning, our last Sunday morning of 2014, I wanted us to revisit our church's mission statement. I want us to be able to to understand what we're here for. That's what we have in your bulletin. What's the mission of First Baptist Church of Fairdale? And what are we here for? I want you to be asking that question. What are we here for? What's this church here for? What am I as as an individual person here for? And what is this church located at 413 Fairdale Road, beside the funeral home, across from the Dairy Queen, right down from the high school and the Catholic Church, across the street from Tindor, First Baptist Fairdale, this church that many people recognize as being the church with a great location here in in the small town of Fairdale inside of Louisville. What, What are we positioned here for? And, and with this property here, what does God have you doing involved with this place? That's what we want to get at. And yet we use this word mission uh, because it's a good word. And, and you all know the idea of mission. Everybody can think of hearing somebody when they say, man, he's on a mission. He is determined, focused. He, he has his eyes set on the prize. He knows what he's going toward. And so often we do not think about our lives 
as being on a mission or our church being on a mission. But today, I hope that through the Word, God convinces you to be on a mission for the glory of God. To be on a mission for the advancement of the kingdom. It was several years ago, 2009 actually, a little bit over five years ago, when I, when I became the, the, the pastor here, I was already in my sixth year at the church serving as associate pastor, youth pastor, but then I became the pastor. and I realized that we didn't really have a mission statement. We didn't have one. And I didn't want to just come up with one and say, guys, I, I went and found us a good one. Here we go. And me try to get you all to buy into a mission statement. That, that takes a long time and, and then oftentimes it's not very smooth. And so we didn't want to do that. So I just told you all that to come on Wednesday nights and we're going to start having an open discussion about what a church like our mission, a church like ours, what our mission statement should be. And so we started having open discussion on Wednesday nights. We'd spend about 45 minutes every Wednesday night discussing. Well, and somebody'd raise their hand and say, Well, I think it should have this in it. And somebody say, I think it should have this in it. And we'd take a few weeks and we'd process that and then we'd try to put it all into a package and then we'd, we'd say, well, I, I like this, I don't like this. And we'd say, well, I think it's getting a little bit too long. And somebody'd say, well, I think we've got some big words in there that sound churchy. And somebody'd say, well, I like that because that's a biblical phrase. You know? And we would go through all of that. And after quite some time discussing and, and hearing everybody out, we came up with this. That we exist to proclaim Jesus. I want to stop right there. There is the very heart of what our mission is. To be proclaiming Jesus to people. We want people to be hearing about Jesus through us. We want Jesus, listen to me, we want people to be hearing about Jesus through you. Okay? The First Baptist Church of Fairdale exists. We're here. Here's the reason why we're here. To proclaim Jesus. But we want to do that in a certain particular way, in a, in, a, in a manner, in a style, in a way of life, with a certain attitude and, and character and persona. And here's what it is. While. And I want you to know that we spend a lot of time deciding it should, should it be the word while. That's not just some word that's put in there. Because while means that there's something else going on while Jesus is being proclaimed. Okay, There's something else going on while Jesus is being proclaimed. And that is this. That both God and people are being loved and served. While you and I are loving and serving both God and people, we are wanting people to be hearing about Jesus. That's our mission statement. The biggest word in there is proclaim, and everybody knows what the word proclaim means. It means to say it out loud. It means to say it so that people can hear it. It means to say it with some assurance, and say it with some confidence, and say it with some clarity. Everybody knows what proclaim means. After that, the next biggest word or, or technical word is exist. And I think everybody knows what exist means. It means to have being. It means to have purpose. That's what exist means. And so, this is a very simple mission statement. One in which you can ask yourself on a day-to-day -day basis, on a hard Monday morning at work, or on an awesome Sunday morning at church, do I understand why God has me here? I challenge you to exist for this purpose and for this mission. We exist to let people know about Jesus. And in Acts chapter 17, we have an awesome passage it's pretty short. It's only nine verses. 
in which we see this sort of an existing, a sort of existence going on with Paul and those traveling with him on his missionary journeys. Y'all know what the book of Acts is. It's this one book that kind of exists by itself in the New Testament that comes right after the Gospels, and it's not like the Gospels, and comes right before the rest of the epistles that are letters to churches. Okay, The four Gospels that begin the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are four different people giving their story of Jesus' life and death. Right? I think you need to know that, and I think you should know that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, are simply four different people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, giving their own story of Jesus' life and death. If somebody wants to know what Jesus was like, how He talked, how He acted, how He treated people, then they need to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay? Well, then almost the remainder of the New Testament are letters that are written by people, most of them to churches, some of them written directly to people. And those letters to churches give us insight on what God's apostles wanted the churches to know. And you and I learn a lot from those. And that goes all the way from Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, those type of books. Those are letters written by an apostle of God to a church that you and I learn from. Well, in between the Gospels and these letters is one little book called Acts. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Acts of the Apostles. And what it is, is that's where God was beginning the church. We didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling permanently in people until the second chapter of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is still on earth, but it's in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus ascends up into heaven. You know that Jesus came, He never sinned, And He died on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, they buried Him in the grave. And three days after they buried Him in the grave, He came back to life, showing everybody this Jesus is King. He is our great God and Savior. And He is victorious over sin, death, and Satan. Now, your sins, your death, and Satan who's trying to bring both of those on you cannot stop you from the One who has power over it, Jesus. And in Acts chapter 1, we have Him, and then He ascends up into heaven. And when He leaves, almost immediately after that, He sends the Holy Spirit. Now, He had told us that's what He was going to do, very clearly. And the Holy Spirit comes and now starts living in people, and the apostles start lumping these people together where, based off where they lived, and created local churches. Believers in Jesus... Meeting together is what makes a church. And all they're supposed to be doing is advancing Jesus' message. I hope that sounds very simple to you and at the same time encouraging. And so while church is a very complex thing in the United States of America these days, I want you to hear that we are just an extension of that. We are a group of believers who meet here on this property in hopes to advance the kingdom. And what we want to do is rally around this mission statement of advancing the kingdom, existing to proclaim Jesus while loving and serving both God and people. Well, as the book of Acts moves forward, you have missionaries going to different towns, different cities, different countries, preaching the gospel to people, proclaiming Jesus. And as people would believe, they would set up a church. In Acts chapter 17, we have Paul coming to Thessalonica. 
That's the church of the Thessalonians. Or that's the town where the church of the Thessalonians was started. First and Second Thessalonians, which is later in the New Testament, are two different letters that the Apostle Paul wrote back to that church. Well, here we are, Acts chapter 17, where we're going to start today, is where Paul first got there. The very first time he visits there. The, verse, the very first time he proclaims Jesus to them. And so we're getting to see that. We're getting to see how this originally started in this city, and then we understand a little bit about how it advances. Now, this church started in 1916, so that was 98 years ago. The Methodist church was the very first church in this little town, and they were sometime before us. But there would have been a time where it first arrived here, and over the last 100 years, it needs to be advancing. The church has seen some strong points and some low points over the last hundred years in this area. But now it's time for us to understand we've got a purpose. We're moving forward. We have a mission. I want to walk through this passage today in Acts chapter 17 in hopes that you will see the importance of our mission as Paul is advancing in Thessalonica. Read with me in Acts chapter 17. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. I like this passage. It's got highs and lows. It's got some really, really good points. And then it's got some points that alarm us, that, that warn us. I don't even want to give you points today. I want to walk through these nine verses. I want you to really understand these nine verses. And I want you to be thinking about our church's mission statement uh, as being uh, something that helps you understand this. So let's look back at verse 1 and let's get going. They had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia and they came to Thessalonica. It appears that each of those little cities was about 30 miles apart and so they were traveling. And, 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 and why they didn't stop there or why Luke, who's writing Acts, tells us that they didn't stop there, we don't know. But apparently, because he says that in verse 1, where there was a synagogue of the Jews in Thessalonica, apparently they were looking for the next city that had a synagogue. We know that when Paul was, as a missionary, the way he started every time he went somewhere as he went to the synagogue, that's kind of the first 
first thing that he did, that was kind of like his starting ground, how he introduced himself to a place, kind of got his feet wet there with his evangelism, with his outreach, and from there he went out to mingling with people in the city. And so perhaps the reason why they weren't stopping in Amphipolis or Apollonia is that there wasn't a synagogue there. But if you look back at chapter 16, they had been in Philippi, okay, and they had been in jail, and then they go to Lystra, and you know the, the jailer is converted. You know that great story where the earthquake comes and opens up the prison. But now they're moving on. If you look at the very last verse of chapter 16, it says, So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. They're missionaries. They're on the go. They're looking for the place that God is calling them to be, to settle down there and reach people and to make a difference. And then they'll stay there as long as they need to. They stay there as long as God is leading them to stay there. Their minds were wrapped up in this, that God has me here for a purpose and that God wants me to advance the kingdom. And so what they were mostly concerned about was not, how did this best fit my life? How did this best fit what I'm trying to do with my life? But how does this this make me work for what God is doing? How is God using me? And so you see them at times blowing through cities. You see them other times saying, this is where we need to be. And chapter 17 begins with them moving through two cities, but then coming to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews there. And so they stopped. Verse 2 says, Paul went in, as was his custom. As I've said already, this is what Paul would do. He knew that the Jews were the religious people. He knew that the Jews were those who, who supposedly believed the Scriptures, believed the Old Testament. So Paul started there. Let me remind you a little bit about Paul. Paul was a Jew. Paul was a Pharisee before he got converted. He was a very religious man. Paul had no, uh, no reservation of telling people that I was more religious than you. I was more holy than you. I was more pious than you. I was more committed to my religion and my God than you would be. He would brag in that way. But then he would throw it all out and call it trash because it was not based on the redemption that comes through Christ. It wasn't based off how little we're able to do for God. It was based off how much he was doing for God. And that's not real. Folks, listen, nobody worships God unless it is through an all-out surrender saying, God, have mercy on me. If our worship of God is based off of how well we're doing, it's not really worshiping God. Paul could identify with somebody whose religion was based off their good works. Paul could identify with somebody who was very committed and tuned in to the Word of God, yet missing it somewhat. Paul would find a synagogue who he had spent lots of time around synagogues and Jewish life and Judaism and being a Pharisee. And it tells us here that this was his custom. Now I want to remind you that Acts, just like the Gospel of Luke, is written by Luke and that Luke is traveling with Paul. Many times you hear the plural coming out with the we in the Gospel of Luke and, and in the book of Acts. Paul is, uh, Luke is traveling with Paul. So he knows very well that this was Paul's custom. But look what it says, verse 2. And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now let's think here for a second. What is the Sabbath day? Sabbath day is the last day of the week, Saturday. The day that they are supposed to be resting. The day in which no work is supposed to be done and they're supposed to give attention to worship on that day. So three Sabbath days would mean 15 days. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturday. 15 days is what three Sabbaths means. That doesn't mean three weeks. 
It means 15 days. It means Saturday to the Saturday to the Saturday. That's what it says. And it says that Paul was there, as his custom, reasoning with them from the Scriptures. Now let's think about this. In order to be reasoning with somebody, you have to be engaged. You have to be involved. You have to be having a conversation. You have to be going back and forth. You have to be saying, yeah, but, yeah, but what about this? Already this morning, I've met like several reasoning conversations with, well, UofL played terrible, and Chris Jones had a bad game, and, 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 and UK was better than us. And then somebody said, well, yeah, well, UK had a bad game too. And there's reasoning going on, a back and forth about it. Y'all know what that is. The Bible says here that Paul would get into the synagogue and be reasoning with people. Reasoning with them about the Scriptures. I love this in a person. And I want to ask you, realistically, have you ever reasoned with somebody over the truth of God? See, one of the things I love about our mission statement is that it, it, it lends us toward an ongoing relationship while we are loving and serving people. In other words, there should be a whole world of people out there who continually are finding First Baptist Fairdale loving and serving them. In other words, this relationship is ongoing. And I get this idea that Paul was able to engage people in doctrinal or scriptural or God conversation and yet not drive them away. We have to be a people who understand what it means to be humble and lowly, to be people who believe big heavy truths about God, yet not always pushing people away. We can't be the people that at Christmas family time, we bring up God, tell them all they're going to hell, and next thing you know, nobody wants to talk to you. Many of you probably went into Christmas hangout time hoping to bring up Jesus, but it didn't go over too well. What was it about Paul that he was able to be there and they let him come back the next Sabbath? Don't you think that if it had gone awful that first Sabbath, that they would have said, don't come back? Or even if he did come back, as soon as they saw him walking, they all went, oh, here he comes, the holy roller. But there's something about Paul and that he was able to get back there. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Reason gives us this idea that he was hearing them out. Listen, Jews have a good argument. They're tracing their religion all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're tracing their, their faith that they're committed to back to everything that you and I read in the Old Testament. That's good stuff. We believe the Old Testament. They say they believe the Old Testament. This isn't just, hey, you're wrong, listen to me. It takes some reasoning. You know what? If you're ever going to reach somebody or have an impact on a life, there's got to be some reasoning that says, I, I used to be wayward too. I used to be wrong. You know what? I'm actually still wrong a lot now. I used to be arrogant. I'm actually pretty arrogant still. I used to be proud. Still proud now. See, reasoning has to let people know you're not any better than them. You're not smarter. You're not further along. We're talking about truth. I want to help you understand this. I love you. I'm serving you in it. Paul is reasoning with them from the Scriptures. But notice here that Paul is just not talking about Scripture. Verse 3 says that in his reasoning from the Scriptures, he was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. 
If you underline or highlight in your Bible, underline verse 3. This is one you need to know. This is one you need to never forget. We don't just reason about the Scriptures. I certainly hope that you don't. We reason about the Scriptures because it was necessary for Jesus to die. You know why it was necessary for Jesus to die? Because, folks, we have sinned against the awesome God that made us. We have turned our backs on the one who loves us. We have said no to the one who forgives. And for that, it's necessary that we explain. We're not explaining how wrong people are. We're not explaining how right we are. We're explaining how Jesus had to die. Why He came. Why He died. How He rose. We're explaining those things. We're wanting people to get those. We're not so much going back and forth on why we think Baptists are the most right. We are getting to the point of explaining to people that Christ must suffer and rise from the dead. Saying, and we have a quote, look here. We have a quote of what Paul would say in the synagogue week after week, Saturday after Saturday, in a reasoning dialogue with people in front of others with listening ears. We have a quote. I find myself a lot wanting to say things that Jesus says, but here I want to find myself saying this to people around here. We have a quote from from Paul. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. That means Savior. Christ isn't His last name. I hope you know that. That means Savior. He's the Savior. Folks, every time you find somebody depressed, down and out, in their sins, guilty, upset, rebelling, going wild, going off the deep end, hating life or whatever, anytime you see that, in your mind you need to think, they need a Savior. In your mind you need to know, they know they need a Savior. Point them to Jesus who is the Savior. Listen, I'm telling you, this Jesus that I've been trying to live out for you, I'm not doing a great job at it, but this Jesus that I'm telling you about, He is the Savior of people like you. He changes lives. A quote. Paul, in the synagogue, Saturday after Saturday, reasoning with the Jews, explaining the Scriptures with them. What an awesome passage. Man, I sure wish we could have a a video of that. I sure wish we had an audio recording of what that was like. But Luke gives us a quote. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you, He is the Savior. Folks, we've got to point people to Jesus. And our mission statement says that very thing. The very word proclaim is a quote from the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary ever in the synagogue, in Thessalonica, that later formed a church. The very words Paul says are the very thing you and I want to be about. This Jesus we proclaim, just like Paul did. And it worked in the book of Acts. God used it. Many churches were formed. Many people were were converted. But notice, He took it quickly to the cross. Christ was to suffer and rise from the dead. You know, Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And you and I understand that without the cross of, cross of Christ, without the shedding of blood, without the wrath of God being 
poured out on, on sin, you and I cannot be saved. And so we must always be people who are about the redeeming work of Christ in the death on the cross. Jesus died for our sins. This is not just the answer that we're always teaching our kids and telling. This is the very thing that you and I live by. And Paul is reasoning with them from the Scriptures. We know that many Jewish people understand the Old Testament really well, but they don't understand the redeeming quality of it. Do you remember in Acts chapter 8, this is just about nine chapters in this book, you have this man in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, and it's talking about the suffering servant Jesus. It's talking about the one who was slain. And, 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 and uh, Philip walks up and says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, well, how can I? He's reading about one who would be slain for us. He's reading about us by our stripes we are healed. We are reading, he's reading about the one who says, like a, like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He's reading that. You and I know that it's about Jesus, but he doesn't get it. And so Philip explains that this is Jesus. Paul does a very similar thing. He takes them with whatever scriptures they're discussing and reasoning with, and he starts to explain, and even says he starts to prove that this is about redemption. This is about you being forgiven of your sins. And this is necessary, it even says, that Christ would suffer and rise from the grave. Folks, these things are not a part of our faith. These things are the very bedrock, the foundation, the core. These are the things that we never, ever, ever leave. And we as a church exist to have those conversations with people. We exist to proclaim Jesus. That's what we want. We want to be able to get into conversations anywhere and everywhere about that. So there's a reason why we go to Pick Pack or Shack in the Back or the post office, or the barber shops around here on a regular basis so that we learn those people's names, so that we get their faces, so that we know their lives and know their stories. It's not. It's not so we can say, man, I live in a good old town where everybody knows everybody and it's all good. It's not it. Because as we know, it comes and goes too quickly. Life is passing us by. Those small pleasures and joys will be gone too soon. We do all of that, that we might have a conversation with them about Jesus suffering and dying and living again. We do all of that, that we might tell them about Jesus. Paul is doing this very thing. At verse 4, keep going. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Paul had come to Thessalonica. He was spending a long time there. Now this passage tells us that it was three straight Sabbaths in the synagogue. But if you, you look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 16, it says that they, the, the Thessalonians were continually giving him support, which lets us think that this was longer than three weeks. And then you read First and Second Thessalonians, you think, man, Paul spent a long time there. So we, we're going to think that Paul was in Thessalonica for quite some time. But this just says three straight Sabbaths. All right, with that said, 
Look what it says. Some of them were persuaded. What does that mean? That means that Paul was making ground with some people. See, your mindset is that if you bring up Jesus in this setting or at your workplace or with your family together at Christmas time, that it's not going to go over well, right? It's going to be a lose-lose. Nobody wants to hear all that. I can't bring it up. I can't tell the barber, man. He's long gone. I can't tell that, that dude that works in the, the, the pick-pack deli. Nobody's going to believe in Jesus. But that's when we think about how well we're doing and not think about that it's God that does this. Imagine going to a Jewish synagogue and trying to bring up Jesus and how he had to die for their sins. Doesn't seem like that's going to work, right? And that's probably why you haven't been to any of the Muslim mosques here in Louisville either. Because you're not going to get very far with that. Or so we think. But Paul did it. And the people that were with him did it. And look what it says. And some of them were persuaded. Now let me remind you that the Bible would teach us time and time again that the persuasion didn't come from the power of Paul speaking. The persuasion come from the Holy Spirit revealing to them that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Savior. And some people joined them. I want to ask you if your life in Christ and your commitment to the church and therefore our, our mission statement has caused some people to join you? Does, does, the, does the life of God in you overflow into, man, I, I like what I see happening in Him. I like what I see happening in, in her. And if not, then let's don't beat ourselves up, but let's ask, well, what, what, what's not happening here? Is the, is the conversation, the reasoning about the Scriptures lacking? Is the consistency of, of three straight Saturdays there? Is the, is the life spent together over a course of time? Is the loving and serving absent? Have the people felt like you're lower than them? That you have their best interest in mind genuinely? Do they know you to be somebody who is humble and lowly and absolutely changed by this message? Or do they see you as better than them? I'm so challenged and convicted that when Paul reasoned with people about the truth of Scripture and the gospel message of Christ, that some people said, you know what? I think he's right. I'm going to change teams. I'm going to be on Paul's side now. I disagree with, with you guys. I'm on Paul's side now. Has that ever happened? Have you ever asked for that to happen? You ever thought about that's what's supposed to be happening? This is fascinating. Paul, an outsider. I wonder if somebody from Middletown would like to show up at the Dairy Queen Liars Club and spend three straight Sabbaths reasoning with them about how it was necessary for Jesus to die on the cross and rise again. Because Paul was from out of town. And to see them say, He's right, man. He's right. God demands my soul. My life's for Him. And I need to get right. Folks, are we seeing this? Do you remember about four years ago when I stood up here and our church wasn't near as crowded as it is now? 
And, and with, with, with such conviction, I said that we don't have a single person from Fairdale High School involved at this church. Not a single one. Do some of y'all remember that? All oh, the shame and embarrassment that First Baptist Church of Fairdale, just a golf ball hit away from Fairdale High School, had zero people involved from Fairdale High School. What an embarrassment it was to us. And so I said it. We're not going to run around it and hide it. What are we doing? We're not living like we have a mission. We're not living like it matters. Praise God that He's been merciful to us and that's not the case now. Fairdale basketball team is away on their trip in Florida. And just this morning, I've gotten two texts from coaches and three texts from players saying, hate that we're not there today. Praise God for that. I said a few weeks ago from John chapter 3 that it's getting windy in Fairdale. That the Spirit is blowing and we see that. I'm so challenged when I hear that Paul was there reasoning with them over the need for Christ to be your Savior and some were persuaded. But let me point out a little bit more here. It wasn't just some leader Jews. It wasn't just the religious people. It's a whole mix of people that were persuaded. It says that some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and as did many of the devout Greeks. So you've got Jewish people, but you've also got Gentiles, people who aren't Jews. People who are from all over the place. People from different parts of the world. People from different races. People from, from different areas are here saying, yeah, I believe that too. I want to get involved with you, Paul and Silas. And then it also points out, and I love how Luke does this, and this is a theme that you have in Luke's writing, and this is a theme you have here late in Luke's writing, is the women. Luke is pointing out that God is using women in the advancement of the kingdom and in gospel ministry. It says, not a few, many leading women were believing the gospel. Many were hearing the preaching of Paul and saying, hey, I want to be involved with that. If you read the chapter before 16, in the next chapter, 17, all of 17 to 18, you're going to hear Luke mention several times women. Leading women. People were being persuaded. Listen to what this one commentator says. God uses belief in the gospel to bring new converts into immediate fellowship with those who introduced them to Christ. Isn't that awesome? Some of you all here right now are very, very dear to me. Okay? I love you all. I know you all. And just a year ago, I didn't even know you. We had never met. Some of y'all two years ago, I never even knew your name or seen your face. And now you are so precious and dear to us. What is God doing? God is taking the preaching of the gospel, the reasoning, explaining, and proving that Christ is the Savior of your sinful life. God is changing your life, bringing us together, and we are now a church. The relationships matter. And this is what he's saying. Paul and his team, I'm, I'm still reading, Paul and his team were the nucleus of a new community, that's a church, which Paul later called the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, in his boldness, yet in his faithfulness with his team, went into a new city, made a commitment to proclaim Jesus and how He is the Christ, and some people believed. Some were women, some were Jews, some were Greeks. Hey, listen, some are from Fairdale, some are outside of Fairdale, some go to the Dairy Queen Liars Club, some don't, some are young, some are old, some go to the high school, some dropped out. It doesn't matter. 
We are proclaiming Jesus to people while they are loving, while we are loving them and while we are serving them. And not all of them, but some of them are going to be changed by this message. And in being changed by this message, then we link up with them, become a stronger team, a stronger community, a stronger family who know each other, love each other, forgive each other of our sins, bear with one another, bind with one another, don't give up on one another, love each other, and that will advance us telling more and more people about Jesus. I love the idea that we had a man who was absent from our church for 29 years. 29 years. He was like college age when he left this church, and he was retired when we found him. Think about that. And now he's such an active part of our church. Why? We had a couple other men in our church get involved in his life, start helping him with his work, love on him, spend time with him. Love stuff like that. It sounds like what I'm seeing in the book of Acts. I love it that we got a lady in our church who comes and joins about three years ago, all on her own, a single lady. She goes through the new members class. She hears everything that our church is about. She hears that this mission statement is what she's got to be committed to if she wants to be a part here. She moves forward and she joins. And now almost any given Sunday, she's got eight or nine people, most of them in her family, sitting with her. Awesome. The Bible teaches us that if Christ is what our lives are centered on, that there will be some other people joining us. This is the hope that we have here in Fairdale. It goes on though, verse 5. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Folks, we can't miss the obvious message. This is just the way it goes. While some are excited and some are believing and some are persuaded and some are wanting to join up with us, the reality is that some aren't. We know that. That's why we're not upset when that happens. At least I hope you're not. There's been many a times where I've had parents say, no, I'm sorry, you're not going to be going to that church. I don't want you hanging around Josh and those people. One of the most well-known kids in this community was a star at the high school, started attending the youth group here when I was a youth pastor. A few Wednesday nights he came, he heard messages like this. He came to me afterwards, sat down in my office, was crying and said, I need to be saved from my sins, I want to become a Christian. That young man believed on Christ. Many of you that were in the youth group remember this. It's not been back. His parents told him, no, not allowed to go to church there. I don't want you involved with that. Folks, sometimes there's a response that goes that way. And the Bible's not holding back from that. It was unplanned, but our call to worship, uh, our New Testament reading passage today from Mark 13 that Josh Womble read, had the very words of Jesus saying that the end times are coming, things are going to get worse, it's going to be bad, people are going to hate you the way they hate me. Now that won't be everybody's response. Some people are going to love us. But some people are going to say, well, I disagree. I don't think so. You're wrong. And yet still, we have to reason with them about the Scriptures and Jesus being the Christ, Jesus being the Savior. But the only way that they're going to ever hear us out, if they even will, is if it's done through loving and serving. If it's done in such a way that people are not put off. Verse 6. When they could not find them. It's interesting. They, they went to Jason's house looking for them. The Bible doesn't tell us 
why they went to Jason's house looking for them. Apparently, Jason was a convert who early on had helped the missionaries, maybe let the missionaries stay with him. Maybe Jason was the first house that the believers in Thessalonica gathered at. Maybe the early church of the Thessalonians, before they ever had a central place to meet, maybe they were meeting at Jason's house. I don't know. Why did they go to Jason's house? Maybe he's the one who was closest to the missionaries. Maybe he was the one who was hosting them. We don't know. So when they couldn't find them, they went to Jason. This is awesome. When people get mad at me, are y'all willing to take the, the punishment for me? If somebody wants to throw me out because that, that Baptist preacher in Fairdale is causing some problems, are, are y'all going to be able to take the, the punishment for me? If I'm hiding, y'all got my back? This is what Jason's doing. If it's over truth, maybe so. If it's over personality and character and opinion or whatever, probably not. But if it's over the, necess- the necessity of Christ to suffer and die and rise if it's over the Savior of the world, if it's over their sins and their eternity and their hell, absolutely we will. I got y'all's back in this and y'all got my back in this and we're a church with a mission to tell the world about Jesus. Why we love them and why we serve them and why we do literally everything in our means for them. That they might know that they need Him to save them. Look what verse 6 says. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting. Notice that this was a wild scene. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Notice this. They are seeing that what Paul is doing is impacting people. They are seeing that the message and the ministry that is going on with Paul and his team is impacting people. The way they explain it is, they're turning the world upside down. They say it in the past tense. Those who have turned the world upside down. Everything that we know about Fairdale is all messed up now, is what they're saying. They're making a difference. And rightly so. Because the gospel makes a difference in people's lives. Listen to this commentator. I love this. Accepting the Lordship of Christ. And listen, maybe you are brand new to this. Okay? I see Catherine Harden here today. Y'all remember it was just last Sunday or two Sundays ago where she comes forward and says, Josh, I want to be saved from my sins. She's not even baptized yet. She's the newest believer that I know of in this little town, in this community. A freshman in high school. Listen to this quote. Accepting the Lordship of Christ would mean new priorities and loyalties for those who became disciples. It would lead to the transformation of personal relationships, business and personal ethics, social structures and ambitions, new attitudes towards other religions, and changed ways of relating to Caesar and his representatives. I think about this all the time. When we become a church that buys into this, we're going to have to change some of the way we are. In the way we treat people. In the way we treat those who wrong us. In the way we treat the leaders in the community who are clearly not in agreement with us. The Holy Spirit would progressively bring about these changes as Christians reflected together on the implications of their new life in Christ and received guidance from leaders such as Paul and Peter. But listen, but even the preaching of the gospel itself is disturbing to the social and political status quo wherever it is taken seriously. As you and I become people who say, Jesus has changed my life 
there are going to be areas that are disrupted by that. It's just the way it goes. We change the way we deal with sexual relationships. We change the way we talk with filth being removed. We change the way we talk with being genuinely humble and serving to people. We change the way we are not offended by every little thing. Get over it. Get tough. Have some thick skin. Don't let everything that somebody says or does in the world bother you. You're tougher than that. They need a Savior. You've been forgiven. Learn to forgive. Changes happen. These men are now before the court. Verse 7, Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another King Jesus. Now listen here. They're trying to take the message of Paul and them and twist it into some political thing. They're trying to say that what Paul is saying is that the King Jesus is going against King Caesar. But you and I know, and even we believe they know, that they knew that's not what Paul's message was. They were trying to get the king to think that's what the message was, but that's not. Paul's message was that God is King and you need Him. That Jesus is King and He's Savior. And it is so encouraging that those who would accuse them before the courts knew very clearly that this Christ is King. And I want to ask you, as you start to examine whether your life is in tune with the mission of the church, do the people around you, whether they're wanting to join you or whether they're upset by you, do they know that what's at the very core of it is that you have a king in the heavens, Jesus. And that king is not only a king on a throne, but he is the one who suffered and died. And it was necessary for him to suffer and die because you know your sinfulness. And because you're being aware of how sinful you are, it has produced a humility, it has produced a brokenness, it has produced a desperate cry for mercy from God, which He gives in Christ, that now makes you loving and serving. Loving and serving to anybody, anywhere. Loving and serving to your enemies. Loving and serving to your angry neighbors. Loving and serving to your wayward children. Loving and serving to everybody. And make no mistake about it, they know it's because King Jesus has come. Isn't it fascinating that here in this passage, their message was not confused. This Jesus is the Christ. They go to the house. They drag them out. They've got a mob involved. It's real violent. They take them to the fort and they're saying, they're saying there's another king. And Paul's somewhere going, yes, we are. Yes, we are. Folks, let your family know. And let the people that you run into on a regular basis that there's a king that we all need. And the King's the Savior. And it was necessary. Oh, was it necessary for Him to die for our sins. As we end 2014, and we all start thinking about 2015, may we be able to say, I have a purpose. I'm existing for a purpose. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for what we see going on here in the book of Acts, Paul's message, Paul's style. Yet his commitment to the Scriptures and to the truth and the fact that some were joining him. 
Father, I pray that here today we would be a people who understand and so live like we understand, so live like we've been impacted. Father, please move in our hearts that you would be using us to proclaim Jesus to people. In His name we pray. Amen.